But I, I got over that the, the next couple of years because I remember that we hung out at the Magnum Opus. Uh, yeah, the wild side, or as Melvin likes to call it, the mild side. And uh, also Joe Sensors, you know, after the, the event oh, yeah. wrapped up. Good yeah, stuff, that yeah. sports bar, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, it was oh, awesome. Man. Yeah, that, that was um, a crazy event. I remember Terrifici, I think it was, playing sports combo against Michael Boggs and being like, this is what you unleashed on the world. <laughs> <laughs> and then Boggs being like, I don't give a shit. It's over now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was the last event, motherfucker. It's not my yeah. problem anymore. Yeah, yeah. God, I was like, thank goodness. Like, I'm out. I'm, it feels good to be off my back. I'm tired. Got to go make some keys, forge them, yeah. you know. Yeah. Oh, oh, too soon. Oh, that is right. I forgot about that property. You know what? I won't go into it. I got to go into it. And I wonder if it's true. Do I suck like I put the suck on you? Hello, and welcome back to the Slums Cast. I am Neuropancer, your co-host, and I am the Netrunner equivalent of promoting your pawn to a bishop. And I'm Josh, aka Orbital Tangent, still Netrunner's OKS player. If this is the first time you've ever joined the Slums cast, I should warn you at the start of this, this podcast is about genuinely trying and often sometimes spectacularly failing at being good at Netrunner. What this podcast will not make you do is be better at Netrunner. What it also will not make you do is be a better person. It will, however, have a special guest. Josh, do you want to introduce our special guest today? Yes, yes, I would. He is or was the best-dressed man in Netrunner of bad publicity and the winning agenda fame. It is the one and only Hollis Echo. <laughs> I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. I'm happy to, to, to be on this cast with you guys and discuss you know, the Netrunner past, present, future, and this content creation thing, man, it, it feels yeah. familiar and new. And I, I don't know, I can feel it in my, in, in my lower bellies. I don't know what it, what it is. Well, thank you for joining us. Now, normally, most weeks, this is where I would move straight into an intro question. As we know, every single week, the intro question is the thing that we do first. However, this week, the Slumscast has to admit to some very nefarious dealings. We were involved with some events and honestly these events coming to light might lead to us taking some uh it's got to be a term for this uh some questionable reputation for some reason that doesn't sound right we, we had a reputation in the first place regardless the point is we were involved in a hack on genteki.net the hack occurred on april 1st 2021 those playing standard probably noticed it because the card art of Rashida Jahim, the card art of NGO Front, the card art of Amakua and Golo, a few other cards were replaced with card art that featured tweets by the Twitter personality Drill. Very nefarious hack, made it completely unplayable. You couldn't tell what the rules text was. And unfortunately, I do have to admit the Slums cast was involved. Wait a second here. I mean, what you're saying, it, it doesn't sound like it was actually it. A hack. It, it sounds like it was a prank, trying to like uh, make make people happy or something. But pants, why are you wasting our time with this? You're not supposed to make people happier. Try to make people better or better people. You know, actually, now that you mention it, we did work directly with the devs of Genteki.net on it, so I guess it wasn't technically a hack. 
I knew it. I do need to give a big shout out to Bob Tomatoes and Noah the Duke, Jinteki.net devs. They're the ones who helped us implement it. It was fun seeing people organically discover the fact that we had drilled cards, seeing people post in Jinteki.net chat, what's with the weird art on Rashida? We hid a few of them as Easter eggs. We took some rotated IDs. We took some rotated cards. We stayed away from anything that would be in startup or in system update and system gateway, just because a lot of new players did just join and we wanted them to actually know what the cards were doing. But we hid a lot of old ones and it was great. Four hours into the prank, someone was like, all right, panic button, by far the best fake art. And like the fake art is just the drill tweet that says, wait, fuck. (laughs) Oh God, I missed that one. That's amazing. My question is, how did they find out? What compelled them in the year of our Lord 2021 to look at the card panic button on Jinteki.net? Once that it was it was seen in standard, I'm guessing that somebody probably opened the card search and was like, okay, what else did they drill? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I'm just spitballing here, but I'm pretty sure that that's what happened. That's pretty amazing, though. And I am thoroughly impressed by the idea and the implementation. I do want to quickly, as an aside, shout out Noah the Duke, who is not the only contributor to JNet, but is the most consistent and has consistently been the top contributor. People from time to time will swoop in and and help Noah, but Noah over the past couple of years has really, really done a lot of work to make JNet what it is. So please don't cut this. Noah deserves all the love and praise from the community and that's all. Why would we cut this? We wouldn't have <laughs> Netrunner if it weren't for Jinteki.net working properly. Oh, yeah, that's right. We can't edit audio either. We wouldn't be able to cut it anyway. Yeah. All we can do is cut the feed. Feels a little rude to cut the feed while we're celebrating Noah's contributions. I was not involved in any part of this, but I still want to say thank you to Noah for <laughs> It's warranted. Yeah, it's warranted. (laughs) Now that we've gotten the allegations out of the way, now that we have clarified that, yes, Slumscast was, in fact, involved in the most serious hack on Genteki.net in years, we should move on to the intro question. So the intro question here, Hollis, this is for you. Okay, I'm ready. You have a pretty long and interesting Netrunner history. I would like to start off by asking an unfairly large question. Unfairly? So you're just telling me up front that it's just completely just off back. This is Yeah, this is not a fair question. I apologize in advance. Go ahead, hit me with it then. <laughs> I like the clarity. We did say that we weren't going to be good people. The question is, what is your favorite Netrunner moment that you've been a part of? Oh, wow. Wow, that's a hard... Uh, whoa. I um, warned you. Hmm. Yeah, real um, dick move, pants. Sorry. You know what? <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick something that I think is to me it's a little selfish, but it's I think it's a community answer. It would have been I want to say the second I think the second year maybe Netrunner Worlds experience. Heck, maybe it was first year. I just don't remember. But it was the first year that Spags did the four player tournament. I'm talking about the format is that everybody has to pick a deck of a certain faction. Mm-hmm. And you're allowed to communicate with your friends or I guess your team, but you have, you got to keep it to a minimum. So the games would run you know, too long, but it was a, a team effort where you play all the factions were represented. The, the tournament of course was, was amazing. A very well run tournament. And each time they had had it, it was fantastic, but it was seeing the 
outcome of what happens in a community when fans really love something. You know, they all like the same thing. They want to do something amazing. Like I was watching the, like the best outcome I could imagine of fans of a thing wanting to show their love as a fan of the thing. Even if I were to like try to like look at any individual that I met it specifically, none of that really adds up to going to the event where I had met so many people and seeing them there at that event and, and knowing that we all like have the same love and interest in like a, a hobby together and we can talk about it and make jokes and friendships. That was the, that was the best. That's the most mm -hmm. memorable, individually rem a memorable experience I could think of in ever. Hands down. Shout out to Spags, by the way, for getting that together. But yeah, that's it. King of Servers is just That's one it. of the coolest things in Netrunner. Agreed. I remember the first King of Servers I was at, it was fairly late in the game. My first Worlds was 2017. So they had been doing this for a few years at this point. They'd already moved to a bigger location. So it was not as crowded as some of the early ones from what I hear. And I remember my team and I were in line and just happened to be in line behind Timmy Wong. And, you know, like this absolute titan of the game, like, we were just like behind him chatting with him while we were waiting to register. Timmy is, is one of those individuals where, you know, specifically for his contribution to Netrunner, he was sort of that oddball, right? He was always that mm -hmm. person that would more likely try the more interesting thing or more, mm -hmm. or I guess what I would say, the more unique, I'm going to call it a yeah. meta twist for like proven decks even sometimes. Whenever you meet someone that has a mind like that for the game that looks at things differently, it is such a treat because you're so used to so much of the same when you look at a competitive meta so to see someone challenge that and say, well, I've got a unique idea. Fascinating person to like meet and talk to about the game. I had similar moments. The first year of King of Servers was 2015. I also remember that you and Jameson were there that year. And I had this weird thing because that was like my first worlds. And I had this weird thing with community celebrity and content creators where I thought y'all were like kind of way more important than, <laughs> than you actually are. Yeah, definitely and, uh, not the case. Man, I saw you. I saw you come up to uh, Jameson though, and the love was real. Uh, you, you guys had a, a quick hug, and you're like, "Good to see you, baby." I was right there, not more than ten feet away from y'all, and I didn't come in and introduce myself because I was like, "Well, these guys, these, they're they're like basically celebrities here." Okay, what is your least favorite netrunner moment that you've been a part of? I'll provide you a laundry list. No, um, <laughs> I will say this: the least favorite moment that I had in netrunner is actually my fault. It's a good and bad thing. And I'll, I'll keep it, uh, I guess the term would be, I guess if I would use like PG here. It's a small little bitty, itty bitty story. And this is actually a good thing about Netrunner. So this is both a good and bad thing. I had played other competitive card games, or excuse me, I played other card games competitively before. I'd been into Pokemon and I'd been into Yu-Gi-Oh for a little bit. You know, I dipped my toes into Magic for a while. That was hella fun, but I ended up deciding that it really wasn't my game. Something about it just didn't really click with me. I don't know. And so that was sort of a lull where I, there was nothing I really wanted to play, seriously. A friend comes over, he shows me Netrunner. Now, mind you, I haven't been a part of any kind of like card game community in a long time. In fact, it's fair to say that really my exposure into that, that culture and that community had been very like insular. I wasn't like a, in Magic, you know, I wasn't like going to like pro tours and doing stuff like that. When I played Pokemon, I was a kid, you know, I was not yet well, like I was a Netrunner as a 25 year old, you know, that done with school, finally got a big boy job. So now there's this available time and the, the means to invest into a new hobby. Being a total noob, I go to Gen Con like my first year, I think it was like 20, I guess 2013, 2014, I think it was 2013. And I 
haven't really been a part of like a, a significant bigger community. It's, again, I only have my local friends. I go to this tournament and I don't do well, but the point is not the tournament. I go to this tournament and my attitude is just not great. I get tilted. It's really hard for me to stay focused on the game. I feel like I'm just so distracted. There's the sheer number of people. I can't believe this many people are playing this game that all of my friends had barely heard of. And I remember I, I took a loss in the game and I was feeling really bad. And I just, I remember making this comment that was so like insensitive and it wasn't to anyone. It was just about like the circumstance. I don't, I don't want to repeat it here, but I said something so like insensitive, just generally about my situation. And I remember there was someone that was at that tournament that saw me. I don't even know who this person was, but they said like, Hey, you don't really know. You really, you don't really know who I am, but what you just said, may seem like it's like an innocent sort of thing to say, but it's actually a very insensitive thing that you just said. And for a lot of people, it would be offensive. And I was shocked because that person checked me as they should have. And they did it in a way that wasn't disrespectful. They did it in a way that wasn't throwing me under the bus or giving me any kind of trouble with any, with, within the community. They saw a behavior from someone that they had not met. And they said, you know what? You might be in a circle that you say certain things and it's normal, but hey, you know, this community is bigger than just you. So the things you say have weight. And uh, that stuck with me, you know, like that check stuck with me throughout everything, right? Through, through the image. And, and from that point, in my phrases, as I thought about like the people I was playing with, things like that, I grew as a person. So like it took this very awkward, embarrassing scenario where this person had to check me. Individually, that was my worst Netrunner experience is knowing that I was so like offensive and insensitive and I was just on full tilt. And the fact that someone had the bravery to like, you know, talk to someone they didn't know and like check me and go, hey, that's not cool. Don't talk like that. That's not okay. It was big. It was a big deal. So like, and it, I, I know that sounds like a really, I know I talked a whole heck of a lot for no reason uh, to give like a very simple synopsis, but ultimately my worst experience was that it was saying something very embarrassing, being effectively a jerk, having someone check me for it. And it ultimately ended up being a good thing. But man, at that time, it was like, I was so embarrassed. I was just so embarrassed. I mean, we've talked about that before on Slumscast. That is one of the things that I love about the Netrunner community is the fact that it cares about how fun it is to just exist in places where Netrunner is played. It, the Netrunner community cares about the quality of life of Netrunner players. And I think you're right. The only other card game that I've played at like any real competitive level is Magic the Gathering. And I've never witnessed something like that there. And obviously, I haven't been everywhere in Magic, but I've seen things like that in Netrunner plenty of times. And it feels unique in a way. And it is a wonderful thing about being a part of the Netrunner community. 100% agree. I, I won't get into too much of a tangent here, uh, you know, despite being a horrible tangent. But I've had the same thing where I said some bullshit at a, one of my first store chance or regionals about some about direct and and robots and stuff. And yeah, I don't want to get into exactly what I said, but somebody was like, yo, like not cool. Right, right. Kind of just don't be a dick. You know, the community as a whole hasn't been one to shy away from calling out bad behaviors and like that's been really good and that has helped myself personally curb behaviors and be a you know, better person i uh, i i know that uh, we, it's not uh it sucks that we can't edit audio because that that needs to leave <laughs>
Oh, boy. <laughs> so speaking of call-outs, one of the things that Sumscast would uh, like to state clearly and unequivocally for the record is part of our next segment, and that is... Cheaper. I almost feel bad connecting it to it because yours is much Ooh. more serious and thoughtful, but we do have to live our truth. And the truth of the slums cast is our least favorite Netrunner moment is every single time that Shaper gets played. <laughs> I like it. Can I join in? Yeah, absolutely. Can we talk about Summer Chip? Let's talk about Summer Chip. Can we talk about Rizeki? So we are here to talk about card evaluations. As always, on the Fuck Shaper segment, we are here to discuss evaluating Netrunner cards. In particular, actually, the direction we wanted to go, we should circle back to talking about Rizeki, though, because that, that certainly is a card. But we actually wanted to dig a little bit into, as part of bad publicity and as part of winning agenda, you took part in what I would say is a time-honored tradition in Netrunner history, which is talking about which Netrunner cards are good and which Netrunner cards are bad, mm-hmm. and having opinions that people get mad about. <laughs> Something that I think a lot of new players probably wonder is how do you evaluate a card? What goes into evaluating a Netrunner card? Since you've done that a lot, you've got a lot of experience doing that, I wanted to get your take on that. Let's start off generally here. And let's actually start off with, I think, the why, the reason. Like, why do you evaluate Netrunner cards? What do you enjoy about it? So I find this is true about myself across board games, video games, card games across the board. Something I just enjoy doing is just finding optimal ways to play games. Even if I've beaten the game before, I've been Fire Emblem three houses three, four times now. And every instance, it doesn't matter what difficulty, if it's maddening or whatever, my goal is to be more efficient at my approach every time I've played it. I find myself enjoying watching speedrunners for that very reason is because I enjoy watching someone invest into like a technical, like technically and all the other things that are just combined with it to like do something repetitively in an efficient way. And figuring that part out is fun to me. That's part of the fun that's baked into the game. So that is why I enjoy doing it. And that's why I do it. I think you're right. Talking about that being part of the fun that's baked into the game. Getting familiar with the game means that you get the understanding necessary to do that. And for a lot of people, like it, I would say that it's not just you. It's probably not just you and me. A lot of people enjoy figuring out where's the optimization, where's the efficiency. Oh yeah, 100%. That is one of the great things about playing like strategy games and what draws me to like strategy games. And there's a lot of strategy and elements to that in Netrunner. The toy box aspect and figuring out how your toys work and an efficient way to put your toys together. I love your insight in the why aspect of it, but what about process. What's your approach to card evaluation? Like, how do you come up with ratings for new cards? What goes into that? And like, how, how, how did you approach it when you did it? I'll try to not make this take too long. The first part that makes it a lot easier, number one, is A, knowing every card. And when I say know every card, I mean no. I mean, if I, if I say, hey, what does, I don't know, hey, what does like Observer Report do? 
it's not oh let me google it real quick it's like no do you do you know what it does because if you if you ought if you just if it's in your memory and you know what this does then the moment other cards release or you see other cards you can immediately start naming off interactions with that card that that seem relevant that could create the next engine create the next process whatever number one it's, it's the most fundamental learn all the cards i don't mean just learn them know them. after that you start to develop like a sense of and it's not even just like a sense i guess really this could be this is all this could be mathematical you can know what like uh you can learn some things about the value of certain cards just based off what they provide the easiest way to do this would be to look at cards like short gamble right when i started netrunner and i started looking at it in a competitive light it was the very first thing that stood out was how valuable is a click really because if you think about it, a click, we know it can be a universal option. It can be used to gen to draw a card. It can be used for a credit. But we also know that a click can translate depending on the events in your hand. Sure, gamble or a hedge fund give you four credits for a click. That's significant for a click and a card, right? So once you kind of understand these base evaluations, you can then start to take a look at some cards. And for the simplistic value, look at those and goes, I see. So I understand the investment with liberated accounts compared to sure gamble. There's an investment of of this amount, I'll get this amount afterward. That means my per credit, or I guess per credit per click total is this, and this is how many cards are necessary to make that happen. When you start to look at, let's say another card comes out, uh, pick any name, pick any card text, but just let's say it generates credits and it's a card that stays in the field. Yep. You for, you how about should... how about Rizeki? Yeah, let's talk about Rizeki. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right? Power tap, like yes. it was garbage when it came out. Yes, right? exactly. Right. Depend you can take a look at those cards and go, okay, wait a minute. I see, understand the base value that this generates, all right, over the course of the game or however long this card is usable versus the, the what this card generates as far as a, the similar resources over mm -hmm. amount of time. And then it's just a question of like, okay, so I, I understand these interactions. I understand the level of value provided, then you figure out other little intricate aspects like the engine. Is your economic engine mm -hmm. a pawn shop? Uh, back in the day, mm -hmm. right? Is your economic engine Rizeki? How does this economic engine compare to uh, compare to something that is very top level, which is like, what is my deck trying to do? Mm -hmm. Even even if you do the like, you know, the, what everyone says, like the main steps, right? You learn the cards, figure out what your deck is supposed to do, and things like that. Then there's the 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 minutia of like, okay, so for my deck to accomplish this, what's my timeline like? Netrunner, by the way, mm -hmm. I know this is long winded. I'm so sorry, but I, yeah, I love this part. This is why this is why I love Netrunner so much. Netrunner yeah. to me is even harder because there's so much player agency in Netrunner that good card evaluations also really do require you to invest time. And that time is the grind. That is the how many, hey, have you played against HB? Have you played against Wayland? Have you played against MBM? Hey, this deck tries to get the game over by turn five, but this other deck is Glacier. They're trying to get the game over by turn 10. How much time do you have to, like, do you have an economic engine? Okay, how long does it take to set up? If your economic engine is one from turn seven, which guarantees you the win, any deck winning by turn five, you don't stand a chance. So I don't, I don't like you, you have to think about these things. Or even more specifically, cards are only playable or usable in certain matchups like that, right? Versus an HB deck that's Glacier, probably different than how you're going to mulligan versus an Indian Fast Events deck. You're probably going to make a lot more riskier runs. You're probably going to have a lighter rig, right? These kinds of things are all a part of the card evaluation, which is also, again, the part of like doing the breaking down the game, understanding it's meat and potatoes, it's tiny little mechanics, mm -hmm. and then figuring out the best possible way to do these things. I'm doing this weird thing with my hands for listeners who are in the chat. But yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> like that's what it is. And that part, again, I love. I love that aspect of it. And I'll, that's where I'll stop. 
That reminds me a lot. We had Jonas on a few episodes ago, and a lot of what you just talked about, I think one particular card choice that he talked about illustrates a lot of these points. And that was the card Da Vinci. First of all, where that starts is knowing all the cards. Da Vinci is a card that I didn't know before it got played in the Comrades Haley. And it was the card that single-handedly could install a sacrificial construct at instant speed to beat CI combo because they didn't have a click to best defense. The only way that you know that that interaction's there is by knowing what the hell the card Da Vinci does and knowing the way that it interacts with Sacrificial Construct, knowing the way that that interacts with Clot, and the way that that interacts with CVS. Also knowing that Da Vinci is a card that really is only relevant for that matchup, you're not installing it elsewhere. You're not really getting value out of it in any other matchup. But knowing that that matchup is important enough that it's still worth a slot in your deck. A ton that goes into evaluating that one single one cost, I think, program. And I don't know if I 100% agree that it's useless in other matchups because it's basically free credits, but it's way more useful in that matchup. You wouldn't otherwise include it. Wow, and we're evaluating cards on the fly right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite. I, like, I'm confident that you have done the same thing, and I'm confident listeners will have admitted they've done the same thing. This is when I knew I Netrunner really like stuck with me, okay? It was, you know, way, way back, way, way, way back. Genesis cycle, right? So, like, I think the second pack, I think I started a days after the release of the second pack within Genesis. So, I remember cards coming out, and we would see, like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick something probably later that came out, but, like, a prepaid voice pad. And I would sit down at our local league at the time. I would look at that card and go, guys, I'm not sure, but everyone seems this is great. Someone convinced me, explained it to me. I'm missing something at the time. And it was because I had, you know, I'm still very new. I don't really understand the value in like a event-based economy. My favorite side to play is corpse side. So I'm playing runner even less. So I'm sitting here like, I'm not sure, like explain to me how this is going to, how this generates so much value. That just that conversation, a quick conversation in one day flipped my brain. And it opened my eyes like, okay, wait, wait, hold on. This changes the economy of everything because I'm only thinking about like cards that gain credits. I'm being so stupid. How can I be short-sighted? That means uh, Maker's Eye costs no money. That means uh, the legwork or whatever costs no money. Like every everything is, all oh, events are free. How, do, how did I miss this? And it's one of those things where you're having these conversations and unless you actually break down every, every card, in, in, my, in my opinion, unless you have an understanding of every card in Netrunner like that, there are so many things, and that was a big one. That was like one that's obvious. A lot of people knew immediately upon saying prepay that I was just slow to the takeover. There's plenty of other cards that you'll see that someone makes a unique deck with, and you go, wait a minute, wait, this works like that? Okay, I didn't, what was it? It was uh, at some point in the in the previous year, wasn't there a um, Ayla list that was using Bookmark? And at the time, I remember when I Bookmark came out. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, when Bookmark came out, it was a laughable tool. It was a laughable tool that no one played, I think, when even when I was when we were still reviewing cars, if I, I think if we were still doing it at that point, I'm pretty sure I panned it. Like a lot of us did. A lot of us like this card is pointless. Here comes the guys from Cali. They're taking a look at, at the cards. They're like, hey guys, um, real quick, uh, I think we could just like I think we could just like one turn like win almost if we just bookmark. <laughs> I think that's yeah. the answer, right? Like I think I think this is doable. And all of a sudden, a card that gets panned because you look at it and you decide it's not really applicable. Another group has decided has made a special brew yeah like straight up like he's like uh he's like a splash of wormwood and just a dash of like get the fuck off my game and like that's basically <laughs> what the, that's that's what it is like it's like wow when i saw that deck 
I was like, well, yeah, I did not see that coming. Like, they're, I didn't predict that. Like, shout out to them. That's great. That's what I want to see in card games. I want to see somebody make the special brew that's using the card that's underrated or has basically flown under the radar. It has, or I think even better is better describe it. It's not been reassessed. Let's yeah. look at cards we panned before. Do these do any more of these fit now? I don't know. Shout out to that deck. That's uh cold ones, actually, was the yes. deck. June one nationals with it. People clearly didn't expect it because, and this is in the deck right up at the time, a single Komainu oh. ends you. You cannot win if they res a Komainu on any server. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is, I, I just want to, I, I just want to, again, when I said earlier, Netrunner is hard, right? Think about that. Like, think, like, yeah. imagine, imagine a scenario where, like, there's a deck that is, mm-hmm. you look at it, you're like, that's nigh unbeatable when it gets going. Like, how do we stop this? You would have to include one card that you have panned that you think is bad in this meta. So if you just play the card that you said was bad, uh, surprise, you're not just not a loss now. Congrats. You beat the game. <laughs> right. But, but that's not, but you know, like when you're, when yeah. it's it's the meta mentality. When you, but if everyone says the best deck is Noise Shop, the best deck is uh, Prepaid Kate, the best deck is is uh, HP Fast Events, right? You will often look at those, at those choices and you'll go, okay, well, these are the best and let me focus on these things. When mm-hmm. cards change or the meta shifts, you have to constantly be reevaluating existing cards this card previously w- wasn't playable. And actually, from the meta that I know of, it's not playable. But hold on. When the meta changes to be more, I don't know, NBN-centric, is it safe to play this new, this NR card now? This card might be playable now. In fact, it stops passive. You know, or any number of, of things like that. Card games are amazing. I love that. I love it. A prominent example like that right now, Miss Bones. Miss Bones used to be a card people were like, ah, oh, that's... That is such overkill. You never need that much money. You've got dirty laundries and criminal. You're fine. Now it's like, yeah, you need one. You maybe need two just because you have to trash so many Jeeves. Fuck, some people advocate three. The card's <laughs> really, really good right now. Think your about- head, though, how many credits that is. That's 36 fucking credits. <laughs> it, it's net 30. <laughs> net 30. Oh, that's like, that's, oh. that's three stim hacks worth of value. Like, so much less jesus christ we talked about some missed shots like i I think you were not the only one that missed on bookmark i think a lot of people missed on bookmark but let's focus on the other side what was your biggest called shot that you got right spicier if it was something that people looked at you and were like no you're you're fucking wrong like you're just you're you're an idiot i think i might have examples for both of those (laughs) this is part of like knowing every card remember i'm gonna criticize myself here yeah, it, it is canon in Slumscast that I need a certain amount of hot takes for my heart to function properly. It's like uh, <laughs> it's like the movie Crank, but with hot takes. I know there is one for sure that I remember someone, I'm going to say confronted me <laughs> on at a tournament. Um, by the way, doing things on the internet is a terrible experience, and I hope no one ever does. <laughs> Saying things on the internet is like the worst. <laughs> like people, people hate it. Okay, so the first one that I think I was wrong on was multi-threader. I'm going to say this again. Netrunner's hard. And I thought, I, I don't know why, but I thought that multi-threader was going to end up being like something nutty. Is I, I was just like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like use these credits to pay for using programs. I was like, someone's going to find, quote unquote, a special brew, basically vomit a rig out way faster than they're supposed to somehow. I was like, some combo of modded or other discount capabilities are going to allow people to vomit a huge rig out and the corp is going to have even less time. So Criminal was really strong. I want to say I want to say it was Andy that year was still like the best deck, I think. The fact that this card's one influence means that they want to see this card thrown in some kind of unique deck archetype that 
is trying to explode a big rig out. 100% wrong card, almost not unplayable for most decks. Like, I mean, you you basically only saw it, what, like in a sunny deck or in like a, a unique, uh, whatever the, the, the mini the mini factions are um, for something interesting. I think they were only really brought into a handful of other decks. And most of the time, the value just wasn't there. It's three costs, two credits. It's too, it's just too slow. It's just not enough value. That, that was one where I was completely, I was completely wrong about. Uh, the one that everyone kept saying I was wrong, most, most of the time it was consoles. I'm going to just inherently say consoles were the biggest pain in the butt every time you talked about them. Every time. I'm, I'm saying this unequivocally to the network community. I know this is going to seem really brash. Network community, shut up, okay? I'm telling you to shut up, okay? Consoles are hard because, let me tell you why consoles always seem difficult. People look at consoles because they're, they're, they're a piece of hardware that are always supposed to be installed forever, right? And they, and they stay in play forever, okay? People look at consoles and they go, well, that means your whole deck centers around this console. You just don't understand how to build a deck yet that would use this console. And that was, a con- that was, that was the most consistent complaint I heard. Whenever I would talk about a console, it's like, no, you just, not, you just don't know what it's like because you got to build a deck around the console. I hate to tell you this, but cards can still be good regardless of which of these consoles I use. So if you're going to ask me which one allows me to play in the most efficient way, but doesn't mean I have to remove good card, I'm probably taking that one because I don't have to remove good card. And I have to make room for bad cards that may be good with this new console. And that was hard, man. Like, I, consoles are the worst. Network community, shut up. I understand. You just love weird consoles. It's okay. I get it. It's a passion project, but just no, please, no. It's okay to like bad cards. Just yeah. Don't, just don't try to tell me that they are good cards. But to be fair, I, I even though I just told your entire listeners to shut up. The truth, the, the truth of the matter is, is that most of the time the community is probably more right than they were wrong. Uh, whenever I've talked about cards, the truth is that as a collective, I always felt like the community has a pretty good idea of what cards are good, what cards aren't, and that's not just because they just like are looking at the preview and want to discuss the card right? They probably have a lot of time invested into the game as well. They know, again, like myself or like, I, like, and like us, like we would try to do, they're aware, more aware of the card pool and they're trying to like make good evaluations. And sometimes those evaluations are based on similar data. They just see it differently. It's tough to get them all right. <laughs> it's very tough to get them all right. The Netrunner fame, the Netrunner celebrity doesn't stop there with the podcasts and the live streams. In fact, you were also... If we're going to keep talking about celebrity, we should have a better segment name. Well, yeah, okay, segment name. There's always... Nakamatsu Medship. God, if it has to be a Netrunner card name, there's a whole Netrunner set about celebrities in Hollywood, right? In the Sand Sand Cycle, Film Critic, Casting Call, Explodapalooza. Well, maybe not that one. But why don't you pick a name from that set? All right, fine, fine. As good of a segment name as Akamatsu Memchip is, it doesn't fit every possible segment. I, I can take a look at the old Hollywood set. Let me pull up NRDB. Um, okay, got it. What I find hilarious, by the way, is that Da Vinci is in that set. Da Vinci's in old Hollywood. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> that was not planned. <laughs> there's also paparazzi. There's beach party. There's fan site. I've got the name for our newest and best-named segment about Netrunner Celebrity. And that name is... Enforcer 1.0 What the fuck? (laughs) Fuck, I quit. (laughs) I'm gone. 
Cup well, I guess it's just me now. Welcome to the newest segment on the Slums Cast, Enforcer 1.0. On this segment, we'd like to discuss another thing that you're known for is commentating Netrunner games. Not everyone in the audience might know this. I mean, people who listen definitely would, but people who weren't around in 2018 would, might not know this. You were in the booth for the final world championships that FFG had in 2018, and you were even calling the grand final game, which is fucking sick. I actually went back and watched it yesterday and right after the game ends and kind of spags and the anti-crew started throwing tokens out or something, you were saying, uh, it's raining at Magnum Opus, which I think is a great line. I wanted to talk a little bit about commentating Netrunner games. And I'd actually like to start off big and spicy. Okay, big and spicy. What we got? For you, what is the biggest key to being a good Netrunner commentator? Actually, I'm going to say it's not surprisingly the same thing, I think, that makes you a good player. I think it's being very attentive and aware of the board state like as, as much as you can. You don't have to be the best player of the game, but there is a high likelihood that you are only going to benefit from understanding the actual depth involved in the game at the competitive level, especially if it's what you're commentating. If you're commentating a fan-run event, if, 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 it's, if it's a fun tournament with a unique spicy rule set, you don't have to like be as you know, serious in your exploration of like of lines of play and things like that. You can, it's something a lot more fun. I think that though, when you look at something like Magnum Opus, similar-ish events, right? Nationals, any kind of world event, regionals, if you're gonna do that, I assume that. The audience listening, they're watching the most competitive aspect of, of what's available in the game. They want the commentator to also be to also be competitively knowledgeable about the game. Because that way the statements that you make about it can provide insight to players that aren't that at that level but want to be. The example I would use is like uh, the classic, right? Like the, you, you're watching the player and they're kind of just like in the tank and you're like, why aren't they making the play? Why aren't they making the obvious play? They know that all they have to do is run the server and it's over. You'll hear commentators, I think you'll notice this in Magic, and I love this part in Magic, where they're like, wait, why isn't he just doing this? And someone goes, oh, oh, that's why, that's why. So-and-so has probably has his card in their sideboard. It's possible they slotted it in because they slotted this in. That means if he does this, there's this unique thing that happens. And because this happens, it means that, that line of play that we thought was going to work isn't a 100%. And so as the commentator, you trying to like, in some ways, show the audience like, look, guys, they're even above us. We have perfect info. We can see hands. We have deck lists. We have all this stuff. And they're out thinking us. And the audience likes that. The audience enjoys hearing that. You know, they enjoy hearing the breakdown and the play-by-play. And yeah, I, th- I think it is, I think it's being knowledgeable. I think it's being knowledgeable as, as, as much as you can about the game. The close second is simply having a personality for it. You don't have to be like energetic. I don't think that's a requirement, but I know that there's plenty of commentators I listen to for other games uh, uh, that aren't the most exciting, but there's something about the way they bring their attitude and their their panache to their doing their thing so it's just enjoyable you know it's enjoyable to listen to i want to say uh there's a difference between you know like louis scott vargas commentating a magic game and any other commentator randy right like like they're, they're vastly different commentators they're at different levels you get something different with each of their personalities so as long as you have the personality for it and your knowledge about the game that's it that's the juice but we do have one commentator like that in Netrunner. And I know that you two are commentators and you you are fantastic, the, the two of you. But I got to say that there is one commentator that is another level in Netrunner and that's Andre. Man, what? Just hearing that dude commentate yeah. is what the fuck? I didn't get a chance to commentate with Andre until Netrunner Worlds. 
after Worlds, I stopped playing Netrunner because it, it had been so much, you know, I'd been involved in the game for so much stuff. I was like, I need a break. I'm tired. It was fatigue had set, had been in, in my bones for like, you know, like I, I was ready. And sitting down with Andre doing, when we, when we were with Pichak, the videos for, for Worlds, we get to, you get to do all that whole setup. Andre was a whole different kind of life. He is so energetic and so knowledgeable about the game. I think if I was going to pick someone who's a perfect example of what a good commentator is, it is Andre. I would say the same also about my co-host from PCHAC, also Alec. They have an energy that is phenomenal for listening to. Even after I was done with Netrunner and I hadn't played for a year, I would still occasionally tune into Metropole Grid streams. I would still check out whenever Andre was like making posts. I was watching him just the other night when he was playing that uh, HB seamless launch deck. I'm such a fan of his content and his presence. He's a perfect example. Perfect. If I was going to pick someone that was the guy for it, it would be him. I've gotten the chance to commentate some big Netrunner games at the same time as him. And this obviously isn't the only answer. There are other things involved. But one thing that can help you be a good commentator is just having good co-commentators. I had Andre there to take care of the play-by-play and I could focus on what are the lines that might be slightly under the surface that I can be thinking about and bringing to the audience's attention here because what's actually happening on the board and the obvious things to think about are right there. So I can think about, is there worry about a Sansan or is there worry about a market forces or something along those lines? Yeah. Andre also has like this perfect conversational like insertion style. He knows how to pause to allow you to say something, but also knows when you're about to pause and then it's just right in there. So I don't even know how he does it. I really envy him. You know, part of what that commentator's job is, you've got the video in front of you. But let's be real, you know, for most people, it's a 1080p stream. And you don't know what cards do unless like the players that you're watching, because the game is recorded mm-hmm. online, are hovering over the card. Or you've memorized all the cards, right? But the commentators have the benefit of always being able to kind of have access to the deck list. Always be able to kind of mm-hmm. view and hover. Because, we, you know, we have the spectate mode in, in Jinteki.net and things like that. Or in the case of Ben, you know, he's throwing the card art, you know, on the screen for you. What Andre does an amazing job of, like you said, the play-by-play, especially on Jatiki.net, because that's where we are in the, in the state of the world right now, right? It's amazing because it helps you follow what's going on without the need to have so much effort placed in hovering over cards. When Andre talks about a card, for example, it's not just, oh, he does this card and he just like moves on. He says, you know, he's playing Cyberdex, blah, 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 which, which, which of course is a 4-2, means he's going to be able to score it out right now. And like, you know, if you have all the knowledge of the game, you know it's a 4-2, you know what it does, you know it's going to gain four credits when he, but saying that out loud, to the audience is helpful because now they don't have to try to decipher everything that's happening on the screen. They're like, okay, I got it. So he scored the he scored Cyberdex is 4-2. God, he's going to always make money. And what I often find myself doing, especially as someone coming back into Netrunner, I find myself like watching a stream and being like, okay, I don't know what that does. We're going to Netrunner DB. Let's check that out. Okay, got it. All right, see what that is. Let's go back. It's amazing. I'll give him this also. My man didn't quit. He could have been like me or anyone else that was doing content when the game was officially done. We hung up our hat. We're tired, you know? He had the energy to keep it moving, to keep doing the content. So shout out to all content creators. I mean, a lot of love for Andre. But I'm going to give a quick shout out to all content. To me, this is actually, but it may sound disrespectful, it's not the intent. I think I like the game even more than I did now versus when it was under FFG control. And that's not a slight to FFG, no disrespect. I met so many FFG employees that are... In spite of how things, mm-hmm. how some packs or cards came out and everyone gave them crap for it, they just, they just love design. That's their thing. Mm-hmm. That's where their heart like really is sensory, you know? And the same feeling I got at King of Servers 
is sort of how my heart was full. Again, watch the community carry itself to say, look, games is not officially supported, but we love the game so much, we want to keep it going. I think that makes me like the game even more than I did, even more. The game is at this point run on love, right? Like there's no other reason. No, no one's making this, becoming a millionaire off of this game, you know, producing cards, putting in hours and hours of playtesting and hours and hours of discussion and hours and hours of art design and hours and hours of technical writing for no pay. You're not doing that because, you know, there's a huge monetary thing. You're doing it because you love it because you really want to see it do well and continue to, to do well. So not to like reveal specifics or, or no. to get too far into this, but this is why like uh, say the, the Nisei Patreon is important. It's not that there's, no money in it. But here's the thing is all of that money goes back into the game because that art that you're talking about costs a crap load more money than anybody thinks. It's important for people to buy cards and understand that there is a lot of money changing hands, but nobody keeps it and it all goes back into the game and everything is way more expensive than you think it is. Just a quick aside, I really, really want to stress the Patreon for Nisei is important. I'm going to get off my soapbox real quick. Take my money! (laughs) I think one thing that I find very interesting about doing commentary at stuff like World Championships are the big events that people have stuff under wraps and they pull it out. Because if you have this Illuminati deck ready for Worlds, what are you saving it for? You're playing it at Worlds. A lot of the skills that you're talking about with trying to know all of the cards in the card pool, trying to know what the possible interactions are, that helps so much when these Illuminati decks pop up. So you just have this better understanding, this better way to piece together based on, hold on, they just installed an egret. What's going on here? Something's afoot. (laughs) I need to figure out what it is, but something's happening. And then a few turns later, it's like, oh, look, it's another diaper combo. Oh, God. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it was wild. I got, to, I got to do something amazing with amazing people as a hobby. I grew as a person. I made friendships that I, to this day, to this day, I still hang out. Uh, Corey and Jameson from Ann Arbor Publicity on Wednesdays, and we play board games. I have made what I think are effectively lifelong friends as a result of this game. Being able to be a part of any aspect of content creation for the game meant that as it was approaching its end, it also meant that for those, oh, it uh, it also meant for everyone I was doing content with, all those wonderful people and getting to do this, knowing knowing this finality was coming, knowing the game was ending, I'm not gonna lie, it took me out at first. Like when the game announcement was kind of done, when when they announced the game was over and, you know, and we would have the Magnum Opus event, for me, the game ended right there. Like I was like, I don't even want to play because now I feel like I'm going to lose all of these friendships I made, all this work that's been put in is, is over and done with. Maybe and at, at that time I said, well, maybe it's time to prepare myself for the next thing, you know, the next thing I could sink my teeth into. So when I got to that tournament, when I got to that event, I was so focused on just trying to do my best and focused on like being present, being in the environment, being, you know, talking with the people like you, Josh, you know, like, like me, cause I met you at world, you know? So, you know, mm-hmm. like, meeting people at these events and and that I that I you know had feedback in for content or had been a fan of content being able to meet Stephen Woolley was uh, I, I don't realize how awesome that was to me it was so cool I was so concerned on just trying to do something good that I didn't actually get sad until much much later I don't know if you felt it but even during the final game you could feel the somber mood creep as we're approaching finals you know, the bulk of the tournament is done. You can feel that mood creep in and, 
and and it really started to kind of affect things. But you also then still had people watching that final game excited. You had people talking about going out to eat afterwards, you know, going to Joe Sensors, right, or 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 having hope, you know, meetups in hotel rooms, just to like, you know, as a last hurrah. All my sadness hit after I made it back to the hotel and I was changing clothes. That made me really sad. Is because it was like, look, I've I've you know I've gotten these events dressed up, and now you know I'm. I'm wearing regular, regular clothes later, regular clothes McGee out here, just wear <laughs> jeans and t-shirt, you know, like there's no like uh, event anymore that, I, that I'm setting up for. And that was just a very, all of that hit at once. I got to meet so many players, you know, that were like myself, that were just fans of the game. And the number of like conversations I had about nothing, you know what I mean? Like the number, the number of conversations I remember having when people would like sit down next to me and they'd be like, so... Jackson Howard <laughs> and I would just be like yeah it's rotated isn't that crazy like <laughs> and it would it would just be that conversation like hey what do you think about the meta that was like a, that was like the most constant question how many times I asked someone what do you think about the meta right now you like it you don't like it what do you wish was better Waylon yeah we all you know at the time yeah little did we know it would become incredibly toxic soon thereafter they had something for us the thing is when games end like this you, you have to remember um Netrunner did not have an organized play from its inception. I, like, I, I, want, I want everyone to stop for a second. Just remember, think about card games right now. I'm going to use a card game right now that I play and I like. Rune Terra. You better believe. Riot from inception said, we're designing this from the ground up to be like another game that we've made. But the aspect that will be ground up will be we, are, we plan for esports. This is not a guess. This is intentional. We, we plan for this game to be streamed and to have content creators, feeder tournaments that are going to feature those content creators and build an entire competitive scene around not only competitive players, but content creators and, and make this make this magic, you know, on ESPN. We want to make this Hearthstone. That's from its inception, right? Spoiler alert, that was not Netrunner. Netrunner did not have any of that, right? Before the start of the game, we didn't even have a, a, a really good tournament rule system right remember let's not forget back in the original netrunner if your opponent had scored seven points and you had scored zero when you guys flip sides all they had to do was score one point the match was done because they would have scored more agenda points than you could have ever scored for one game and that's for a match and that's that's it right that was the old rules you remember that i'm sorry i'm sorry hold on yes excuse me what the fuck grandfather Whoever had the most agenda points over both games won the match correct so if you awful. had a if you had a tag and bag deck, yes, you put yourself at a disadvantage because you were almost never going to score. Yeah, and let's let's say we both play Wayland, and I, I just haven't played Runner this game. I play against your Wayland, and I score seven whole points, and you scored zero. Okay, when we flip, and I play my Wayland deck, I don't even have to try to make it to seven. Do you know what I'm mulliganing for? Hostile takeover. takeover. Exactly. Oh my God. Because <laughs> on, on turn one, as I if I have hostile takeover, I go install advance events. That's the match. Because now I've scored a total of eight. You cannot score eight points before the game is done. At the time, you were like, "What kind of what? like what kind of tournament? What? How is yeah. that fair? Because that tournament system only makes only makes sense ever if you ever if you possibly considered that like matches were even based on court and runner. But then you're like, the game is asymmetrical. How is this even possible? How yeah, did this that's even, how so did, dumb. What makes it even fucking worse is like the first world's winner, Jeremy Zorn's deck, bears mm-hmm. this out. The best deck in core and Genesis is Wayland Tag and Bag. 
Yes. It's not even close. Like it's just the easiest corp to win with, but it's not competitively viable. The big competitive deck is HB Fast Advance. We're but, blowing your mind with this history, aren't we? Yeah, no, th- this... There's a reason I, they fucking changed this. Jesus. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. There is. This was Netrunner. This was... This, this was this bad. Was... Double elimination cuts weren't really a thing at first, no. too. I remember this because what happened was Lucas walked into FFG one night because he was like, this is fucked. This is not right. Like, my baby, you're fucking it up because tournaments are garbage. He walks in one night and he's like, all right, fuck it. We're not doing traditional Swiss tonight. What we're doing is we're doing a couple of rounds of Swiss. But the real thing I'm after here is I want to know if we go into a bracket after a couple of rounds of Swiss, what you guys think of it. Essentially, we had a GNK and we were all like, this is way fucking better. You have to do this. Go to OP and tell them now this needs to happen. Obviously, here we are talking about the way that Netrunner tournaments became Netrunner tournaments. We're talking about the final game of the World Championships. The fact is, the three of us are a ways away from that, if nothing else, partially because Worlds don't happen in April. And I'd imagine that a lot of our listeners are too. So I'd like to discuss another side of the Netrunner journey, which is getting back into the game. I've got another segment name from the old Hollywood pack for this. The segment name is An Offer You Can't Refuse. And also, you can't refuse. Oh, God. Why? Why Why this name? Why these names? The segment is named an offer you can't refuse because of the Godfather, Josh. Because just when we thought we were out, it pulls us back in. Is that the flavor? I'll allow it. This This time and this time only, I'll allow it. I think that you probably are doing something that a number of other people are doing right now, which is returning to Netrunner after a bit of time away, specifically from kind of the top competitive scene. We've got a number of questions here, and I'll list them out now and feel free to tackle them in whatever order you want. The first question is why? What brings you back into Netrunner? Another is, I imagine that some newer players struggle with figuring out how to know what's good and how to figure out useful information when they're trying to figure out what to play. So we're wondering, how do you approach getting up to speed on the card pool, the meta, and the things that are going on? Those are some damn good questions. We've got to run them down. All right, so number one, why why did I come back and what brings me back? That's the easiest answer. I just miss it. Obviously, the new set sparks some interest, but the truth is that from the moment the new set was even started getting leaked, I have a Slack chat where it's a lot of my, my friends here, just where I live. And in that Slack chat, we have a Netrunner group. That's actually how the bulk of my friends became friends, is Netrunner. In that Slack chat, you know, it's been pretty silent. It happened, it was a, it was a drip. We started leaking, like, you know, cards started getting released and we would go, you guys check this out. This shit's crazy. This shit looks good as, what? It looks so good. We would be like, yeah, yeah, no, it does look good. You're right. And then we, then we, would, we would leave that chat alone. And then we would go by and if someone would link like, you know, like uh, Brent, we'd be like, you guys see this shit? This looks crazy. Like this. Wait a minute, is this card, is this changing card quality? It's one pip of info, that's wild. Okay, all right. The third time, because that's always, you know, it's always in threes. It's like, guys, they reprinted Jackson. Jackson's back. Look, Jackson is back. We back, baby. You know, like, and all of this happening, you know, the conversation started happening more. People started looking at deck lists on NetrunnerDB and, and started talking about old decks and how some of the new decks we're seeing are similar. We're talking about things we're seeing on stream. And, and with all of that happening, we realized that discussion is inter- is fun. You know, we, we, we missed that. The, the same thing that brought us into the game, right? It's the same thing that's pulling us back in. Is going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me that, wait, seamless launch, 
like whatever reconstruction dedication ceremony that's wild what a combo what is that legal is that are we allowed to do that that seems unfair well i guess i'm building it you know like 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 now that we see stuff like that um well i guess i'm building it well i guess i'm building it you know like you know how when you lie your voice gets tired when you like this is the thing when you lie your voice gets tired but like in netrunner like when you're surprised with things your voice i'm like i'm like wait a minute bookmark what does that do what is that? I don't know what that does. That's pretty much what it is. And so as the discussion's been, you know, generated, the energy's back. You start realizing, oh man, wait, this would be great. Like imagine this card works with this card and this card works with this card and, and blah, 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 blah. Like, like uh, you start seeing possibilities and you start seeing to be thematic in a way, the matrix of how everything is like connected. That is what it was. You know, that I think it was the energy and also it was seeing familiar faces. It was seeing, you know, you guys are doing content creation. It was seeing Andre content creation and other players I had met throughout the years continuing to further interest in the game and doing their part. Like that also helps build interest in your hobby. It doesn't matter if it's a niche group. If I like it, if it's interesting, one of the first things I do with any hobby, whether it's a game I play like XCOM or it's a board game I play like, like a Battlegrounds game. One of the first things I do is I'm like, hey, tell me what com what's competitive in this meta. I'll YouTube a quick video. I'll, I'll check out builds just because I'm like, hey, what, what does everyone consider very good about this thing? And hearing the groups of opinions is exactly what got me in that run the first time. The other question, how do new players figure out and work out getting back, getting up to speed? How do they stay afloat with so many people that played this game already? Welcome to Grind City. Let me tell you something. I feel this way about working out. I feel this way about cycling. I feel this way about studying anything. It's a grind. You got to put in the time. And that means you got to make the decks. You got to read the cards. You got to play. You got to play the deck that you don't like. You getting your butt kicked by like NBA fast events all the time. I'm sorry to tell you, the best way to beat that is you number one, you need to play it. Number two, you need to play against some more. You need to get your butt kicked some more. Rinse and repeat. And eventually, it doesn't feel so bad getting your butt kicked. Eventually, you start realizing, like, oh, this is this is the game. I know how to play against this deck. I know that I know my odds aren't good, but I know the cards to look for when I play against it. I know the cards to look out for when playing against it. That's a part of the grind. There is no shortcut. There's no like, oh, I take the supplement and that's just going to do all the work. Nope. The supplement's great. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that you can net deck. That is phenomenal. It's actually really important in that deck. It gives you an idea of the meta. It helps you understand fundamentals of like how a good deck is built as far as its economic engine, about its ice suite, all of it. And those nuances involved, that will teach you a lot. You need to play it though. You need to play with Bioroids for a minute. It's one thing to know, but then you play against a deck that's using all Bioroids. You're like, I don't understand. That was really hard to beat. That was shockingly more difficult to beat that deck full of battle raids than I thought it was, even when I could use my clicks. I was taxed as a result of using clicks as opposed to credits, which by the way, I did not have an abundance of because they're mostly co costed appropriately for allowing you to use clicks. I wasn't prepared for the sheer backbreaking economy I would need to be able to play against it. You don't know these things until you really understand the game and a lot of those nuances. So it's the grind. I would tell you, absorb every bit of content. That means you listen to this podcast. That means you listen to Andre's stream. That means take the time. And if you are at work, maybe you're on your phone, you don't have time to actually play a game on Gentechie.net. You might want to just go into a game and say, hey, uh, is it okay if I watch your game? I did that, especially when I was playing the Netrunner a lot, whenever I would watch recorded games. That was like the best relaxation. That was like the best learning tool because I could pause the video and go, okay, wait a minute. Now here, I would do X, Y, Z. I wonder if they're going to do that. Hmm, what could the enemy have here? I don't know. All right, play. Ah, I didn't think about that card. Okay, so I, I, you know, like those little things are part of the grind. That's what it takes to be good. That's how you keep, that's how you stay afloat in the competitive, in any kind of competitive card game for the most part, right? So 
It's that grind. You got to put in the work. People think that like getting good at card games often is like you get to a level and that's just it. And it's like, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. That's a part of it. Yeah. I, I mean, like if you, if you look, if, when, you, when you really, really get a game, I'm certain that if you talk to anyone who's like amazing at Magic the Gathering or, or any other card game, right? Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, whatever. They'll tell you that, yeah, you're going to learn basic fundamentals that because of how you understand the economy of that game and the, its resources, you'll take that data and you'll easily or more easily be able to translate it to other cards in a much more simple way that won't require so much of attention. This is kind of like this other card that was printed. I kind of understand it, why it's different and I get it. But you don't get there until you have all the games in and that really sticks for you. So when you see really good people take a break from the game and they come back and they're still good, they're pulling from a lot of knowledge, but they're still not as good as they could be if they just played the whole time. That's just a part of it. Don't forget how to ride a bike, but I'm certain if you were trying to like be a BMX rider, you know, BMX person, you would probably need a lot more practice to jump back into that as a hobby, right? Like if I'm in BMX, by the way, when was the last time anybody mentioned BMX? If I'm in BMX and like I'm the best and then I take a break for five years, when I come back, I'll probably be rusty. The bike might be rusty too. Yeah, the bike. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Get some forty. One thing that really sticks out about that answer, I agree with all of that, but one thing that particularly sticks out, playing with the things that you don't like, playing with the things that beat you is so important. I think right now, a good example, if you don't like the tempo Asa lists, the best way to figure out how to beat them, play that Asa tempo list, figure out when you are terrified of the runner running your remote and run the remote then. That has long been, I think, an underrated piece of advice when playing Netrunner, playing those decks and noticing when you're losing. And that's another area where losing can be good. Now flip that around and do the things that make it lose. I did want to press you a little bit more on that. What specific tools, though, are you using? What are you doing? You hopping on Netrunner DB? You hopping on any Discord, Slack channels? What, what, what are you doing, man? What tools are you using to get yourself re-abreasted to this? The first main tool, of course, for, for what I call that grind is Jinteki.net. If you have players that play in a local community, by all means, play together. And number one, it makes them better. You get better. Let's not forget. What is it? What is it? Like a uh, a rising tide, whatever, whatever. Uh, something, something, something <laughs> about raising the bar overall, right? Like for your, your local community. I think it's a, a rising sandberg raises all ice strength. You know what? I'll take that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. I like it. It is the case that when in your local community or your online community, you know, which I imagine is often the case given you know COVID, for pretty much everyone, as you get better, you want to play better people. That means also trying your best to get the people that you're playing with also to level them up. I don't think because I've I've made a post about this recently on Netrunner uh, Dorks. I don't think it's good to offer unsolicited advice after a game. I think it's probably in bad taste most of the time. But I would encourage you. I would encourage you when you finish your game. If you have the time, talk to your opponent. Let's say if you, if you do lose, consider, hey, do you feel like there were any opportunities I could have had during the game to improve? What do you think? Have you played this deck? Any tips you have for this deck or in this matchup? Maybe they just want to get to the next game, and if so, that's cool. But those are good questions to ask. Number two, record your games. Record them. You can use fraps for all I care. Like record, record your games. Take a look at how you're playing. Like that's that's an easy way to level up, in my opinion. But to me, that's the, the, the there's there's the hard part that is this is very nuanced. This is my recommendation for most cards, but I don't think people are going to find this very fun. I use an application called Anki. It is a note card app. It's really basic, but it can be also very complex. You can simply make a flashcard where the front is the name of the card and the back of the flashcard is the picture of the card. 
it's a free app you could download on your computer and you can also download it on your phone and it all syncs up together. I'm just gonna give you the full gamut. You could be at your, at your job, on the toilet, in the middle of making dinner. You can pull out your phone and look at no card you made. And I'm just gonna pull a random card here and you can just click a card and you'll go, uh, oh, Crick, hmm. So the front of the card says Crick. What does Crick do again? It's like, it does, it's like bonus strength on archives, you know, like, like that's what you would do. Then when you think you got the card, you flip it over, okay? You flip the card over on the digital app. It actually says, you know, flip or whatever. If you got it right, you can then rank the card based on difficulty of you remembering it. And what Anki will do is it will place it in a memorable queue and it'll say, hey, the last time you did a test on this card or quizzed yourself on this card was four days ago and you got it wrong. So because it's been four days, here's that card again. Oh, you got it right? Well, I'm not going to show you this card again until 15 days. So that way you had more time to forget it. And when I show you the card again, you have to go back and recreate the pathway to that card so you know what it does. That doesn't seem a lot of fun for people, but for me, to me, that's so interesting because I'm actually actively teaching myself a better way to study. I'm learning very quickly to look at cards at a glance, whether it's artwork or, or the title, and go, oh, I know what this card is. When I see other cards that combo or can be used with this card, that's what's helping me make card evaluations. Anki might be one of the most valuable tools, I think, just on the level of memorization. And I don't think it helps you necessarily on play. Just talking memorization and really understanding like cards and like learning the cards, to me, that's one of the best ways. Obviously, playing is, is an amazing way to do it as well. But a program like Anki is convenient for when, I guess, things aren't as convenient, in the, if that's the correct way to say it. Oh, you know what? Actually, I have a good idea for the next segment, then. Important question. Does it come from the old Hollywood set? I think so. Let's go with... Oh, nice, it does. Let's go ahead and evaluate some cards. We don't have the kind of money where we can handle getting sued by bad publicity. But even if we don't do a full pack review for copyright reasons, let's get some of that energy and do a little card review. Which faction excites you the most from what you see in System Update and System Gateway, Hollis? The most? NBN. Let's pull up the list of cards from NBN in System Gateway. And I don't know what you all are using, but for the benefit of anybody new to the game, I am going to NetrunnerDB, as in database.com, and I'm clicking on Sets, and then I'm going to go ahead and go to System Gateway, and it's already sorted by Faction, and I can look for NBN, and you can hover over the card, and it will tell you what to do. Yeah, or so not what to do, what it does. Let's do quick evaluations. Let's start with the ID. NBN Reality Plus. 4015, the first time each turn the runner takes a tag, gain two credits, or draw two cards. This card is incredible. I don't know what to say. Like, it's it's 4015, it's NBN, and you want a tag anyway, plus it gives you money for it. It's awesome. I'd also I like chime in and add that because there's an existing 4-2 that very much like, um, there's now 4-2s that benefit from like damage as a result of tags. And there's also 4-2s that have their own sort of like pseudo economic engine that exists. Adding the ability to purge and then also adding tags, you remove like some cornerstones to like uh, certain runner decks that are just like crucial to builds. So like being able to say like, I get a benefit from tags. So like tagging is always bad for you. I also have like damage at my disposal. And if you try to play viruses to like do some weird shenanigans, I've got that market cornered also. So it's like this adds to sort of this like oppression that is available. I guess not oppression, but like um, it can help add pressure on the runner because you're always gaining these like incremental advantages. Do you purge? I get some credits. 
Oh, so, so you have viruses? I've, I've got I've got advantages here. Oh, are you tagged? Well, here comes the advantages. I'm missing an agenda, but I guess I'll draw it now since you want to get C-sourced or whatever, you know, whatever the case was. Reality Plus, definitely, there's some strong stuff here just with the existing NDN card pool. Like some of the best NDN ice is really more of an annoyance than it is a roadblock. A turnpike that says, lose a credit, also I'm going to trace you and give you a tag. And you can clear the tag, or you can beat the trace, but the trace is expensive. But you know, it's not that bad. Except Reality Plus says, then I get the two credits to res it back. And the next time you run through it, I make money off of this turnpike. And the next time, maybe I'll draw cards because I need an agenda. So a lot of the stuff that's already in the NBN card pool just goes really well with this. Plus, if you score the 3-1, yeah, Ares AR Enhanced Security. Suddenly, you are an incredible horizontal deck, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, because you're getting paid two credits every time they trash something. Like, that's that's amazing. Well, not every time. I mean, it's the first time each turn, but like still, like you're getting value off the fact that they're trashing on top of the fact that they're paying all that money to trash assets. Let's talk about the agenda now. Tomorrow's headline, 3-2, subtype ambush. When this agenda is scored or stolen, give the runner one tag. Limit one per deck. Uh, card's terrible. Next. No, I'm kidding. No, no, no. No, I'm very... Oh, come on. Come on. A 3-2. It's a 3-2. I feel like for the most part, that's like the best single state like, for, every, for pretty much any agenda, right? It's a 3-2. Defensive 3-2. And an offensive 3-2. Wild. Yeah. Isn't that wild? I'm going to come out and say it, and this is one of the best 3-2 agendas in System Gateway. Easily. Wild. Easily. The fact that it does something when it's stolen when none of the other ones do is really huge for this. And the fact that you can rely on this agenda to pay you back with the Reality Plus ID, regardless of whether it's scored or stolen, is really wild. It's incredible. What I have yet to see, what I want to see, is some sort of slam dunk combo with this thing where, you know, you use the tag to set up a kill shot of some sort. We're not there yet. Technology's not quite advanced enough, but the meta's new. For sure. We don't have those hell actions on it yet. Got to get the hell actions. The hell actions are very important. The, The next one is what that I think that we're all excited for. That is Spin Doctor. Spin Doctor being an asset character. Zero to res, two to trash. When you res this asset, draw two cards. And it has a paid ability that says, remove this asset from the game. Shuffle up to two cards from archives into R&D. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Jackie Boy is back, baby. I heard someone cleverly call this Jackson Nowward. Jay now, yeah. Jane, yeah. oh that my god. Amazing. That is sick. Whoever did it, I don't know who it was. Props. I only heard it recently, but props to you. Yes. I also liked the one uh New Jack City. I like yeah. it. Yes. It says a lot about the card that we can spend this long not talking about the text on it because the text is so self-evidently good. This card has caught me out so many times since this effect has not existed in netrunner for like the last uh four years guess who has completely stopped running archives since 2017 your boy (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean (laughs) i've done it in desperation okay so spin doctor i was discussing with a friend of mine and frank we were were comparing this to sprint and then at some point we both went why are we being dumbasses arguing over like which one's better when we just know we can use them both like i don't 
We're like, I don't know, man. Like, if I play HB, I really want to shoot me a shot. Save the influence? Like, we could run them both. We're like, oh, yeah. If we harken back to that that unparalleled time when the savior Jack, Jackson Howard came through, pretty simple. It let us overdraw to improve car quality, and then as a sort of like punish to the runner, it forced the runner to check archives to go look at the scraps that we were going to toss out, and it gave us either it either gave us like the ability to basically just tax a click, which is very common, right? Just to tax the archives run, but it also gave us the benefit of being able to tax it unnecessarily. If, if I if I overdraw and throw cards in archives and there's no goodies there, then you just don't pop Jackson and now I've wasted an extra click that I need to. The way Spin Doctor's set up, not only is it a more balanced version of Jackson, if you will, they have designed this card so that it's incredibly fair. I want to protect this. It has a two trash cost. I know that it's going to give me the window to score or overtax you in a way that you just cannot afford. But you'd rather do it now than let me sit here and overdraw looking for car quality and then like have no repercussions because Spin Doctor remains on the board. It creates a hard decision for the runner. And that's what I like. That's what I, that's what I like the most about cards like Spin Doctor. Make the runner have to make hard decisions. Let's do one more. Let's talk about the mm-hmm. ice ping. It's a barrier, two to res, one strength, one subroutine that says end the run. The other text on this card says, when you res this ice during a run against this server, give the runner one tech. I love this card. This card's so sick. Just starting off from the fact that it is two credits and in reality plus, that says free. This is the design space. Whenever I would have a discussion with other Netrunner players about like potential of cards that have yet to be made, this is how you know fans of the game fucking love their game because I would have loved more cards like this. It was almost like FFG had dipped their toes into the win counter win the, and win access, right? So rarely did they do the, hey, when you res them, how about you get a benefit? How about a front-loaded benefit as court? At some point in Netrunner, ice is just how many credits do I suck away from the run? Because subroutines rarely fire. Right, unless it's a unique mm-hmm. scenario where uh, I'm, I'm gonna use like a card like Macrophage, right? Like it's it's like it's a unique scenario where Macrophage has got because of how unique Macrophage is, its cost is incredibly inexpensive for value that it may may provide. So it's like a nutty, like weird card, right? They never really, felt, I never really felt like FFG explored the kinds of nuances where it's like, how about this? Let's just give a front loaded benefit, and then after that, this card's a vanilla. They explored something like it, but not in the same way with the trap ice, where it was like, you get this effect, and it's a powerful effect for how much it costs to res it, but you only get it once the ice trashes afterwards. I think ping is more interesting. It's like you staple an operation to an ice. I think that what this card says, the subtext, so to speak, is literally against NBN until you see all three pings resed you cannot run last click unless you have some way to remove the tag, which is very few and far between in the game, right? There's like Citadel and I think you can use flip switch to avoid a tag on your turn, right? Yeah, yeah. Citadel and flip switch are the only ones that come to mind. Uh, No one home, maybe? Like there's a couple of ways. Oh yeah, true. No one home does. It must suck to blow a no one home on a ping tag when you're like, "I I have this to last me the long winter when hard-hitting news is going to come bring four tags to my family. Yeah. And Ping is like, actually. Ice in Netrunner is often looked at based on how much tempo it removes from the runner. 
And so mm-hmm. in that evaluation, we look at ice most of the time, most of the time, right? Tempo generated by border control was nutty because border control is the most inside piece of ice on server is like, how much did you investigate in here before I just like said, no, if you spend six or seven, that tempo loss, you, you might make it back in, but that tempo loss is insane. Like you're, I'm, I'm basically because of this ice, I'm carving out a window. And so what this does is it does that. It, it helps remove or reduce, I guess, runner tempo. You don't even need it the entire game, right? What this card is, it's like, I'm gonna hit you for tempo right now. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make, I'm trying to carve out a window right now. Well, you don't know what's behind here. This could be an asset that costs you four. Are you really about to run this ice, pay the one to, to get through this piece of ice, then take a tag, then pay four to trash, then remove a tag for taking a click to work? Like what? Like th- that tempo is insane. And we had this conversation earlier. What is a click, like oh, oh, throughout Netrunner as an average, I guess really per meta is really what you should do it by. What does a click equal in value? Is a click three credits? Because if that's the case, then a tag really costs you five credits or four credits or however you want to do that math. So that adds up. Like scenarios where their, their credit differential isn't like ridiculous. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you know, you thinking, you thinking, well, look, I'm just going to go trash a quick remote. It's going to take me nothing. I got 16 credits. There's a big difference between having to pay two to trash, uh, you know, two to trash a card and then paying one to get in, right? Versus saying, well, okay, but now I have to pay two to trash a card, one to get in, and I'm losing a click and I'm losing two more credits. So this is just, ah, I'm losing, instead of me just losing three credits now, I'm losing seven. No, that changes the math significantly to me. What's cool about this card though, is that's not a continued value for the corp. That initial consideration while it's hidden and face down, Oh man, like it's that's just so beautiful. Like classic example is the turning wheel is a very common multi-access now, right? And a very common habit of people is okay, I'm gonna run HQ with that face down ice when you're low on credits. Say yeah, you're on two credits, right? What's the thing that can hurt me? Well, not really that much, right? So then they start bouncing HQ. And maybe in this case, you don't res. You don't res for the first three bounces because say they're doing it the whole turn but on that last run you res and you go you ain't got no more clicks left and you have a tag i'm just going to take that turning wheel next turn yeah adding the tactical decision of when to res to it is (laughs) so sick we've piled on this ice before in slums cast perhaps fairly perhaps unfairly i think it's a cool design that just is possibly a little overtuned but slot machine slot machine you just always res you always res because it's always good ping you're very very tactical with when you res it you know all right so we just talked about an awful lot of good cards i think it is important now that we've talked about a lot of good cards to call back to a time-honored slums cast tradition josh would you like to lead us in a round of ban or nab oh yes yes indeed it is time for ban or nab no ban ban Bam, get him out of here. Too handsome. And a first time in Slumcast history, we have a second card that we wanted to discuss. I've had worse. Ban. Ban. Nab. Whoa! We have dissenting opinions on ban or nab, but as is always the case, we will not discuss them and we'll move on. Now, let's not talk just about cards. Let's think about the metagame. Hold on, hold on. I have a thing for this. One last segment name coming from old Hollywood, and it is... Spoilers. Because we're going to give spoilers for the upcoming metagame. Assume for the sake of this question that you are being forced to put money down today 
on the next World Championships. In particular, we are asking you to name who's going to win, what decks they're going to win with, and most importantly, what the quippy New York Times headline the day after is going to be. We're assuming that this is going to be a very light news day, so it makes the front page. <laughs> what are okay. you taking? Okay, so um, uh, who's going to... Oh, my God. Oh, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so not prepared. You guys have to give me a second. Oh, no. Wait. Wait, I promise. I'll be ready in a second, guys, please. Okay, I'm ready. So who's going to win? You know what? I'm going to go nutty here. I'm going to actually say... I'm going to say Dan D'Arginio comes fully back and he just like teaches how to play this game again. Oh, shit. 2021 world champion Dan D'Arginio. Dan D'Arginio is coming back. He's like, you know what? Two wasn't enough. I need three. Because I got, he's like, I got two back-to-backs. That's, that's, that's child's play. Now I need... I need the three P. And he's like, I need the three P just so I remind them how to play this damn game again. He's like, I'm tired of you guys messing this game up. I think that Dan, I think Dan's going to come back. I think he's going to do it. And actually, I'm going to go, wow. I think Dan's going to do it with Reina Roja. I bet he does it with Reina Roja and precision design. We've got it. Dan D'Argenio on Reina and Precision Design. Yes. What's the headline? What does the New York Times have to say about Dan D'Argenio winning with Reina and Precision Design? And again, for the sake of argument, we are assuming that they do in fact have something to say about it. The headline would read, no sleeves, equal sign, hot boy summer. An inset in the photo is just the card art of Deuces Wild showing what he would look like with sleeves on. Yes, yes. And there's like an X. It's just like, nah, this is not it. This is, FG made this, not Nisei, because they would have never given him sleeves in the card. It says artists rendering next to it to make it clear that Dan yeah. never worn sleeves. The internet loves that, right? The internet, like, I love, that's what I love about the internet. Like, my man just simply wears a tank top that has his name on it. And like, the internet's like, oh, he just never wore sleeves. Like, he probably does. Not Dan D'Argenio, yeah. the actor. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's not the real guy. Trust me. I saw him once. Yeah. Dramatic no romanticization or something like that. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. No sleeves equal hot wisdom. And I bet that, I, you know what, crazy? I bet that would be the title of the deck name. That's it definitely name. fits with some of the deck names that we've gotten from Dan in the past, right? Like we had Hot Tub Time Machine. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. It's the follow-up, right? Like, you know, we, we had Hot Tub Time Machine. Now we have Hot Boy Summer. Hot Boy Summer, dude. Hot Boy Summer. That's what it is. Hot Boy Summer is Rena Roja. I'm sure that will go over well. Well, if that comes to pass, I'm sure we will be here to talk about it on the Slums Cast. But for now, we've reached the end of this episode. Those of you listening, if you liked what you heard today, go ahead, follow the Slums Cast. You can find us in just about every major podcast distribution network. No, I don't know why either. If you like what you heard, go ahead, leave us a review. If you're interested, we have merch on Redbubble. You can go ahead and pick that out. All proceeds on that go towards charity. We do actually have a new t-shirt to talk about. Josh, do you want to talk about the design on that t-shirt? No, cut the feed. Exactly. It is a cut the feed t-shirt. You can go buy one now. Special thanks this week. We have to give special thanks to Hollis. Hollis, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, sir. Guys, I want you to know that this was the this is the first bit of content, you know, outside of like a, a tournament. This was the first bit of content that I got to do for Netrunner in a very, very long time. It is a pleasure to see that, you know, you all are so invested in the game and continuing to help like enrich it and provide content for other fans. I know that that was, if I look at my entire Netrunner timeline, at some point being the content creator eclipsed me being a competitive player because I enjoyed that aspect so much more as far as what I felt like 
I could contribute and what I enjoy talking about. I love talking about this game. So it, it's amazing that other people also very much love talking about this game. So much so they're investing their time on, by the way, their time on a Saturday when they could be with their families, when they could be doing literally anything else. You are sacrificing your time because you love a hobby and you want to provide content that you like yourselves for other people that may also like it. So while you've said thank you to me, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for creating the content and continue to create it. Thanks, man. That means a lot, actually. While you're on here, do you have any shout outs you want to give? Man, every time I that, that like the shout out section comes out, it's like a huge list, but um, I'll summarize it. Anyone that I've done any kind of content creation over the years, whether that is uh, bad publicity, whether that is with the winning agenda, whether that's with, uh, oh, excuse me, P-Chack, like, you know, like every single person that I got to like be a part of like any kind of like content creation with, it was the biggest pleasure, one of the biggest pleasures to enjoy a hobby and get to do the content with people that are also like-minded, that also love it. I could not be more happy to be returning back to content so I can see some of those people that I got to share content with, but also got to play with. You know, it's amazing to see like Dean post in, in, uh, in Sim and Simac sometimes or, and things like that, or see, or, or see Josh or, or see anyone. Like, you know, like every, to see Dan Spinoza is still making content. Like, you know, it's actors that are still really into the game, still really invested. And in spite of like the niche group, they are very much dedicated to making sure that the content in, in the game persists for like-minded individuals that love it. So all of my shout outs go out to every content creator, all the players and anybody at all that even took a moment to give a small blur, whether you posted on Netrunner Dorks, Twitter, came on even on this podcast and had a conversation. Thank you so much for contributing. Right back at you as well. Everything that you're saying applies to you as well. Making the content, taking the time out to just give back to the community. It, it means a lot. It means a lot to everyone. So thank you as well. All right, we've reached the end of the episode. If you have any questions or comments for the Slumscast, we'll include the ways that you can reach us in the show notes, but you can reach us on Stimslack. You can reach us on Twitter. You can reach us on Reddit. We even have a Gmail attached to this account, though we don't check that nearly as often as the other options that I just mentioned. Any questions or comments, that's how to reach us. If you have any concerns, then uh, then that's fine. Just hold on to them. I have a deck name for uh, Dan's Corp, Takati Initiative. Oh! <laughs> yeah. Takate Project. <laughs> Takate Project. There you go. Oh, I don't know. Takate Shop. There you go. Oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or Takate uh, Coats. Or, or uh, t- Takotes. <laughs> Takotes! Uh, uh, I don't know if uh, that should have the sad trumpet or the <laughs> probably both overlaid on each other. Is that possible to do? I like I know that you can't edit audio, but can you play both of them at the same time? <laughs> yeah, probably. It probably sound awful though. <laughs> we we do actually have to do that now, you know, right? <laughs> oh God. <laughs>